Hi everyone, it's Azim here. We're trying something new on Exponential View, uh, just a quick fire discussion with a couple of our readers who happen to be experts in a topic of the moment. I was motivated by a short news piece this week that the British Health Secretary or the former Health Secretary who paused his role as we went into the election process, Matt Hancock, um, announced a policy that he wanted all children at birth to receive whole genome sequencing. Uh, and in a Twitter discussion with my friends Martin Vashavsky and Vishal Gulati, a couple of interesting points came up and I thought, let's get them on a call and let's talk about that. Who are they? Well, let's start with an intro from Martin, who is currently driving on a highway between uh, Boston, Massachusetts and New York, having just had a meeting with George Church, the world's preeminent genetic scientist. Uh, Martin, thanks for making the time. No, thanks to be here. I'm a fan of your work and I'm happy to contribute. Now, in regarding myself, I'm a tech entrepreneur and I built the largest chain of IVF clinics in the US. That's called Prelude. And I'm also the founder of Overture, a company that is automating IVF and egg freezing. So we do a great deal of embryo testing, genetic testing with thousands of patients in the USA. Wonderful, thank you. And Vishal, I think you're stationary rather than being on the road. Uh, please yes. uh, introduce yourself, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Vishal. I used to be a physician and then I worked as a scientist. Uh, I also worked with the Human Genome Project uh, long time ago, and now I'm a VC. I invested the margins of healthcare and data, uh, and I work at a fund called Draper Esprit. Great. Well, thank you, uh, both of you. Let's kick off with some basics. So Matt Hancock talked about wanting to screen all babies uh, in the UK with a whole genome sequencing. And whole genome sequencing, I think, is different to the kind of consumer sequencing we get from uh, 23andMe uh, or Ancestry.com. That's right. Vishal, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what um, whole genome sequencing is? So whole genome sequencing is actually reading the base pairs from one end to the other. And this is done using several different methods. The most prominent one is Illumina shotgun sequencing. And this is different from what, say, 23andMe will do, which is a high-resolution SNPs map, where they actually go in uh, and actually look for specific abnormalities or sequences in the genome, which we already know exist in different people. And the, there is a huge price difference. So currently, a full uh, genome sequence will cost you about a thousand, there about a thousand dollars. And a SNPs map can cost you anything between 30 and $40 per, per patient. Right, that's a really helpful clarification. So in a sense, a SNPs map, which we buy from these consumer services is a little bit like looking for unknown knowns, whereas a whole genome sequencing is a full Rumsfeldian analysis, including the unknown yes. unknowns. That's the, right. I, 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 I'm, well, I think, I'm sure Rumsfeld will be flattered to be associated with this. Right. In terms of the, the scale of that, it's about $1,000 a piece. There are about 720,000 live births in the UK every year, about 3.8 million in the US. So it's a big scale Martin, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but just help us understand how many um, whole genome sequences do you think are, are, are done? And is whole, whole genome sequencing something that you have done through any of your fertility businesses? I have done it personally. I've gone to Illumina in one of their seminars and I've sequenced my own genome under a project that's called Understanding Your Genome. But I, if I had to guess, while there's maybe 10 million people who have done 23andMe, 
uh, and similar tests. If I had to guess, I would say there's less than 100,000 that have done whole genome, but I may be wrong. Mm. Vishal, any idea of that number for whole genome? Uh, I would say it's hundreds of thousands. So if you look at the UK's program, which is 100,000 genomes, that's not 100,000 people, but that's 100,000 genomes. This includes, so if you're sequencing a tumor, you're also sequencing the host of the tumor. So that's two sequences. That's how they count it. And there are some people in clinical trials, I would guess, you know, hundreds to thousands that will be sequenced at some point. And there are specific programs. There are, there are programs in the United States where newborns who end up in intensive care are sequenced. So that would be, a, I would say, a couple of thousand. So we are talking of hundreds of thousands to maybe a million. So it's a very small number uh, today, uh, which I think is fascinating in terms of how far we need to, to scale it up. And, and I'm curious about what the benefits of doing this are. I mean, Martine, in your business, why are you sequencing and doing genetic tests on embryos and what does it tell parents and what prospective parents and what decisions do they take off it? Well, we do quite a few genetic tests on embryos. We, I would say that a third of patients who do IVF do some sort of genetic testing for embryos. But these are very precise tests that are meant to be uh, predict the likelihood of pregnancy and euploidy and anuploidy. And then around 2% of all couples that come to us carry similar mutations for monogenic illnesses, for example, for cystic fibrosis or thalassemia or sickle cell anemia and so on. And for those, we do another type of genetic testing in order to select the embryos that don't have those mutations. But what we do not do is full genome on embryos. Right, so what you're doing is you're checking for aneuploidy, uh, which is conditions like uh, Down syndrome, which often have very severe health outcomes for, for a child when they're born. Well, most of the aneuploidies just result in miscarriages. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to make it more likely that a couple we have will have a baby in less tries, in less frozen embryo transfers. And now there's a tendency to go towards single embryo transfers to avoid multiple pregnancies that used to be so frequently associated with IVF. But it is not the type of testing that you were talking about that people would like to do. The type of testing you were talking about is, first of all, is after the babies are born, mm. not when they're embryos. And they would lead, in my opinion, to tremendous confusion among parents. It is very, we already have a great deal of confusion now with embryo testing, uh, many people have a hard time understanding the concept of probabilities. I'm talking about people in the general public. And when you have polygenic rescores, which is what you would have with this test, uh, I think people will be pretty confused on average. Mm. Yeah, it, it, is, it is complicated. I just looked at some data from my 23andMe me test, which I know is not a whole genome sequence, it's just a little match. Um, and it suggests that I'm more likely than average to dislike coriander or cilantro, as Americans call it, which is something that I eat at least twice a day. Uh, so uh, it is the, the idea of probability is complicated. Vishal, this is something that you mentioned to me in terms of how, um, uh, you know, once you get the technology working, it's very hard for people to interpret. What's your experience of that been and how would you look at that problem? 
So I think that in general, we are in flux right now. We have it, traditionally, if you stop a person on the street and ask them uh, what happens when you get a blood test, most people say, will say that there is a result. And I think that, that that's what most people understand tests to be. So people, people, many people are aware what a normal cholesterol level should be. They're aware of what it, it, that having it higher than that number is a bad idea, having it lower is a good idea. Uh, but if you look at genomic risk, they tend to be a sliding scale. So it's very, very hard for me to imagine that if, so if you are going to take this uh, sample from a newborn, parents would expect there to be a result. And a result from a full genome sequence doesn't look like a typical result from a test that people are used to. Um, and this goes to what Martin was saying, which is about probability. So you are at that point very early in the life of, of this individual who has not yet been exposed to, to, in general, to the environmental risks, which most of these conditions have associated with. Uh, it is very hard to make a probable assessment of what this what this actually means. So if you compare that, for example, to the heel prick test, which is called, also called Guthrie test, which is done in many, many countries, where you take a drop of blood from the, the heel of the child and you send it off on, on a piece of paper, and then they test for nine diseases. And if you go through those nine diseases, there's a very clear diagnostic criteria for mm -hmm. those nine diseases. And so at the end of that, you will either get an all clear, which is great to hear when I've I, you know, when my kids uh, had that, great to hear they don't have any of those nine things. And, but in this case, it's very hard to say that this is what they don't have. So there is no all clear, if you like, in this test. And that can be really worrying for parent, parents saying, I really don't know what that test is showing. Uh, and just to just to add one other point is that if you are thinking of possibilities of using this data to understand human disease, then this is probably not a very good cohort to go after because most of these children will not have, uh, uh, because they'll be healthy, they will not have much encounter with the healthcare system. So you will not have any phenotype data adding on to this, this data set and they won't develop diseases that are the big killers like cardiovascular disease and others for mm -hmm. until much, much later in life. So if I was to spend this money, I would start sequencing 40 year olds because uh -huh. they will in the next 10 to 10 years develop lots of interesting conditions. But you know, I have this kind of morbid thoughts because I used to be a doctor. Right. And, and you're closer to 40 than, uh, than a newborn. I'm, yes, uh, that I is correct. That's yeah. right. <laughs> well, I, let's let put your put aside your own personal considerations. I think that the lack of phenotypic data uh, on this is a really interesting uh, challenge. But the, it, there's also this question of um, how you interpret this result, these results for uh, parents, um, and and that often falls to the role of the genetic counsellor, which is a, a kind of a fantastic new career, it's well paid, median salaries in, in the UK around $75,000 a year, median salaries in the US around 80. But there aren't that many uh, of them. I mean, we did some digging around and we reckoned there were about 7,000 genetic counsellors 
worldwide, maybe a few hundred um, in the UK. There seems to be a shortage of them. Martin, do you, do you have experience of, of allocating genetic counsellors in, in your businesses? Well, indeed, we hire quite a few of them. I'm not saying it's uh, impossible to find them, but if you started something like this all of a sudden in a huge scale, uh, like you said, there's 3.8 million babies born in the U.S. If these 3.8 million had their full genome sequence, you would have a tremendous shortage of, of genetic counselors. And you would have to explain to the general population such concepts as gene penetrance. Genes pe gene penetrance is a concept that uh, it's almost the probability of a probability, right? So imagine you, here's a newborn, and Vishal was explaining it very well when you have tests that are black and white, right? Uh, you're positive for this or you're negative for this. But in, with the concept of gene penetrance, you, you say, well, you have this gene, which in 40% of the cases, people then get this symptom or this disease. And then you have this other gene that in 60% of the cases, people get this symptom or that disease. And then you have this other gene, because of course, you will have many, right? And, and it will be, I think it would confuse the hell out of people. Um, I'm not saying this shouldn't be offered to people who are sophisticated enough to want uh, such a test. And there are people who could probably live longer lives if they were given this information or their parents got their information at birth. But I think that doctors in general would be terrified of parents showing up and saying, well, my child has 30% chance of developing this in his life. What do you have to say about that? Right. Right. And that, that, is, uh, that is a complicated issue of a powerful, bringing this powerful technology out into the market. And I guess there'd be lots of questions as well about um, what's going to happen to this data further down the line, because we've, you know, we've watched films like Gattaca and we've watched, uh, we, you know, we've heard about the risks of our data leaking. I almost feel we would need many more privacy and data protections around the fact that this data would be available in an international data set somewhere. I mean, do we even, do we need to think about those considerations? I mean, how about you, Vishal? Have you got a view on that? I do believe we should. The first thing we have to do is to have some legislation around insurance premiums, because we're already in some sort of a gray zone. When you buy health insurance, you're asked if you've had any genetic tests, but you have no obligation to report them. And this is um, not set in legislation as far as I can tell. So I think we, 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 would, we would have to start working on that. We will also have to start working on um, it, it, the landscape of who uses this data, who can have consent to use this data. Uh, and and it, the, we have to have the ability for people to withdraw consent. I have not seen anything about the whole consent landscape that you will need to have uh, uh, to, to get consent to, to do this test. And I can imagine that if, if, if my parents had done this test on me, and when I grew up and I did not want this data to be, to be in, in somebody's hands, I would want to have the right to withdraw myself from this data set. And I think that those are all very complex uh, discussions and there needs to be a national debate around that. 
I also think that it's very different in the U.S. than in the U.K. In the U.S., I, I totally agree with Vishal that it, it is a very serious problem because fourth matters like uh, medical insurance, even life insurance, you will be tagged as a more expensive person way uh, before you develop any symptoms that may actually cause uh, an economic harm to health insurers or life insurers. In the case of the UK, where you have the NHS and you have a, one healthcare provider for most of the nation, of course, there's some private healthcare provider, providers too, like Google and so on, but where you have mostly a national health system or the case of Spain, I think it would be very interesting for those systems to have this information anonymized when people are born. Uh, in any case, even if it's not anonymized, it will never cost more money to a Spaniard or to a British person to go through medical treatment, regardless of what their condition is. So mm -hmm. when you have no economic consequences, I can see an advantage in detection prevention of certain illnesses. And there, there are quite a few illnesses that if they're treated early, they're much less serious than others. There's some that unfortunately you can't do anything about. For example, mitochondrial DNA illnesses, mm -hmm. which now there's a few treatments beginning to appear, mitochondrial DNA being another kind of DNA that could be tested. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's beginning to be some treatment, but so far there isn't any treatment. So it is, it is in many cases a, a diagnosis, let's say, of Pearson is a death sentence by the time the child is seven, right? Um, so, so then in that case, I think there's another problem, which is the terrible emotional uh, burden to the parents. Like, is it better to know when a child is born that it is extremely likely this child will die before seven, or is it better to find out when the child is two or three when there's nothing you can do, right? So I think there's psychological cause and economic cause, and I would never force it on the whole population to test their genome. I would only do it on those who would like to do it. Mm. it it's a really interesting set of hard questions because you start to get into questions of mobility and access, uh, structure and equality. Uh, those who would like to do it might be people who are uh, you know already better educated with better access to resources anyway and have the ability to you know ride the ups and the downs um, or that might come out of a, a, a program like this uh, and, and and so then you're talking about a, a whole scale system-wide intervention that actually helps the the better off and in general the way that we've we've done these national systems is uh, they've been leveling technologies rather than discriminating technologies. I, it, I, I find it quite hard to think through that, that problem. I mean, Vishal, you've been a doctor in the NHS as well. How should we think through that? So I think that if, if let us say, first of all, no one really needs to generate more leads for primary care physicians in the UK. We have a big shortage. This test is going to generate a lot more people wanting to have access. And given that access is unequal, people who are who live in areas where there are more doctors, which tend to be the more affluent areas, will have more access to healthcare. 
and they will then be able to to get the best kind of preventive care best kind of life management services etc so the challenge with something like this would be all things being equal in the unequal the distributed healthcare world we live in the it will just amplify the existing inequalities and i think that that's probably going to be quite challenging of course you know i would love to live in a world where we did not have those inequalities of access to healthcare uh, and and that would be a, a great world to live in but if unless we get there and until we get there having this additional way by which people who are able to be diagnosed earlier who can improve their life chances uh because they live in an affluent area is only going to amplify it thank you uh, that's a great summary martin do you have any last thoughts on this yes i it's funny to find myself arguing against something that i absolutely treasure because i think it would be a tremendous uh help for science and medicine in general to have access to more genomes so it is unusual of me to favor arguments of uh practical uh, purposes and and also emotional stress over science i agree with vishal that if we are going to do that why don't we do it on older people who are as he argues closer to having the expression of many of these illnesses many of which are age related and not that new at the moment the baby is born which is such a difficult psychological moment and i say this by the way as a father of seven children so i have gone through these seven times and i'm not sure i wanted a genome the day each one of my children was born that is a very very interesting uh, and important perspective i mean i think to hear the two of you who have been innovators and uh, in vishal's case you're a practitioner and an investor in this area as well caution the approach of uh, something that looks as appealing as extending a national franchise of whole genome sequencing a uh, super interesting discussion and i look forward to hearing what our readers have to say about this when they get a, a chance to listen to it thank you to the both of you for jumping on this call at uh, at such short notice and uh, just a note to the um, to, to listeners as well do go out and check out the um, Stephen Chu podcast uh, where we talk about polygenic risk scoring for lots of complex traits and see you on sunday for exponential view